All right, well, some of you are aware that my dad was, or at least he thought himself to be an athlete, right? But what you, what you really need to know is that the real athlete in my family is my mom. It's true. It's true, old man. Um, love you, Dad. See, well, while that old guy back there was, you know, kind of chasing a pigskin ball around like a dog playing fetch, um, my mom was performing graceful acts of dexterity and amazing acrobatics as an all-American gymnast. Like I said, the real athlete in the family. And when she uh, retired, when she retired, she used to teach at the Parkettes. Parkettes is like one of those gymnastics gyms around here. And she used to take me, so I would do like the little, you know, tumbling things as a kid. And I was always the most impressed by the men and women who could do the vault. The vault was like, how do they do that type of a thing? And basically, it's this event where you sprint forward, you hit a springboard and propel yourself off, vault, Hit, hit the vault and do all kinds of spins and twists in the air and then somehow land on your feet. And as I've grown older, I've always kind of envisioned the vault as an amazing display of faith. There's faith being exercised in the springboard that it'll actually propel you, in the vault that'll actually hold you, and then in the training of your coaches that you've gone through for years and years and years that you'll actually land on your feet without even seeing the ground, because it's, for the most difficult vaults, it's a blind landing. Like the one she's doing here, she lands completely blind and sticks the landing, which is why she won the gold medal. She was amazing. Today, as we continue our sermon series on the reality of spiritual warfare in the life of the believer, we are going to be looking at the fourth piece of the armor, which is the shield of faith the shield of faith. So we've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, and now we look at the shield of faith. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. You guys can turn there, and as you turn to Ephesians 6, 16, I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in this, that we would all have a stronger sense of our love for you and your love for us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord, that your glory would be manifest in your truth. Lord, speak to our hearts that we may stand firm against the enemy, wielding the shield of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as with last week, I just want to briefly remind us of how spiritual warfare works in the life of the believer, all right? And this is important that we keep dripping this in and keep reminding ourselves of this because if we can be familiar with the patterns and the schemes of the enemy, we can know how to stand firm against them, amen? So, it's critical that we recognize that the enemy always, always starts with a lie, he always starts with lies. He speaks deception to us. Scripture says in John chapter 8 that he is the father of lies, that the only thing that he can do is speak lies. That is what comes out of him. That's his nature. And he speaks those lies in order to further several different schemes. But there's not an infinite number of schemes. There's basically five schemes that he will seek to do over and over and over again. Every single temptation, every single trial in life, every single way the enemy comes against us can pretty much fit into one of these five areas. He tries to make us doubt or disbelieve. He lies to us to create disunity within our relationships. He, he lies to discourage us so that we don't pursue God's path for us. He lies to us to throw us into despairing hopelessness so we feel like there's just no reason to go on. And one that I forgot last week that I'm including this week is he lies to us to try to get us to defy God, to be defiant, that we just do what we want to do instead of what God directs us to do. 
So those, those right there, you can pretty much fit every single lie that the enemy speaks to us will get us to try to fall into one of those categories. And those five schemes are always calculated to do one of three things, one or more of these three things. They're He's calculated to get us to steal our peace, kill our joy, or destroy our testimonies. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And this is what he's trying to do over and over and over again. And so, I would encourage you, Christian, to remember this, to try to Get this so that when it comes, when you have one of these schemes start to play out in your life, you can recognize it. Because the first part of overcoming the enemy is recognizing when the enemy is at your doorstep, right? Now, praise God that even though we have an enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy, that we have a God who has overcome him, amen? We know that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He has overcome Satan. He has overcome sin and death through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. That he has set us free from all of those things. And we now have the Holy Spirit living in us as children of God so that we have the power to overcome those things as well. Amen? And not only has Jesus done those things, but he is alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for us. He is mediating between the Father and us, and he is advocating for us, constantly seeking to go to the Father on our behalf. I mean, that is encouraging news for us, that should, be, that should encourage us that though there is this warfare going on, we have a God who is continually fighting on our behalf. And so we need to walk in that truth. We need to walk in the identity as children of God. That is what Romans 13 talks about, putting on the armor of light, which is Jesus Christ, our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, in Christ, Scripture says that we can be more than overcomers through Him who loved us, Romans 8, right? This is our identity, that in Christ, we too can overcome these things. But how do we do that? How do we do that? And that is what Romans 6 is all about. Each one of these pieces of armor give us insight into what it means to walk in our identity as children of God. So, Armor piece number four, the shield of faith. Let's read Ephesians 6, 16 together. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now we're going to break this down into two sections. We're going we're to study the shield itself. We're going to know the shield And then we're going to talk about how to wield the shield. So we have knowing the shield and wielding the shield, two sections, all right? Now there's, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of stuff here, a lot of material. And I'm just going to throw it at you and trust that the Spirit of God is going to help you to digest whatever He wants you to, okay? So by the grace of God, I'm going to try to do my job. And by the grace of God, receive that in Jesus' name. Amen? So we got to start with the verbs in this passage. The first thing I want us to focus on here is how Paul addresses what he tells us to do with the shield of faith. See, for the first three pieces of armor, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes in verses 14 and 15, Paul uses the phrase, having put on or having fastened on. Now, if I were you in your Bibles or on your phones, I would highlight that or circle those verbs, having put on, having fastened on. In the Greek, the tense of having indicates that the armor has already been put on and it remains on. It's something that we have acquired and it kind of passively does its job. It's ongoing. We're to always have on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness. 
But now in verses 16 and 17, Paul switches up the verbs, and he tells us to take up the shield, the helmet, and the sword. The others are always passively in use, but the next three pieces have to actively be equipped. We need to actively take them up. In Greek, the word take up literally means to lift up or pick up. And this is in the active voice, meaning it's something that we have to to think about and intentionally do. It doesn't happen on its own. Now, Now, here is where it's important that we know a little bit about the historical context of the Roman shields. The Greek word for shield originally referred to a large stone that would block a door. So basically, you couldn't get through. And it came to refer to a shield, the large tower shield that the Romans used in battles. And this was called the the scutum shield or the tower shield. And it was typically two and a half feet wide and about four feet tall. It was a big old shield. And it would be made from two layers of solid wood and then a layer of canvas, and then around that, there was also uh, either leather or animal skins that would go around the canvas. And outside the frame was iron that held it all together, and then there was an iron, it was called the boss, that was in the middle of the shield that had kind of a, a, a convex shape that would deflect anything that came against it, all right? We kind of get this picture in our minds of what this shield was. And the shield was designed to cover the entire body of the Roman soldier. And they would typically, they wouldn't walk around, and here's, here's the part about taking up. They wouldn't walk around with their shield out all the time. They would kind of just keep it limp in their arm or resting on the ground because the thing was so big. Now, In ancient combat, the way that combat would always begin was through an exchange of arrows. So we march, we get into formation, we're going to fight. All right, ah, we're going to fight. First thing we do, we start shooting arrows at each other. It's in that moment when the arrows are sent flying that the Roman soldiers would at that point take up their shields. Now they're moving from having the shield just kind of there to actually actively using the shield, wielding the shield to defend against the oncoming attack. Paul is is saying here that these pieces of armor, they're, they're not going to passively protect and prepare us like the other pieces of armor, this, this shield in particular we have to actively wield when the attack comes, keeping a lookout for the attack so that we can raise the shield of faith to defend against any of the arrows that are shot our way. And Paul says that the shield of faith is specifically used to extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy. This is the only piece of armor where we're actually told what it does. Did you ever recognize that before? No other piece of armor does Paul explain what it does. Only the shield does he say, hey, you wield the shield of faith, and this is what will happen. Now, again, historically, we've got to know that when those arrows were shot at the Roman legions, they weren't shot with precision, all right? No one was trying to be a, a sniper out there with their bow and arrow. They, when they were shot, they were shot in large quantities that would rain down all around the Romans. And if they weren't fully covered by their shield, they would take a hit. Now, how many of you know that when we are in battle, it's almost never just a single arrow that's shot at us, right? Right? When, we, when we're in the thick of it, it's like the enemy is raining down arrows at us. Isn't that how it works? 
Like you feel, you feel overwhelmed by what's going on. Well, the idea in ancient warfare and with our enemy isn't necessarily to kill the soldier. The arrows did their job if they merely wounded the soldiers or threw them into a confused panic because an injured or a confused soldier was an ineffective soldier, unable to fight, unable to actually contribute to the battle. Now, sometimes their other pieces of armor could, could take on an arrow, but the other pieces of ar- uh, armor weren't designed to deflect those arrows. They were designed to prevent a killing blow. There's a difference. So my breastplate is designed to protect my vital organs, but I could still take an arrow to an upper part of the chest or a shoulder or an arm or something and be wounded and unable to fight. I'm not going to die from it, but I'm hurt. The shield is the only piece of armor that will cover 100% of the body. There are no gaps in that whatsoever, and therefore it can and will deflect every single one of the arrows that are shot. Only the shield can be used to continue fighting. We need the shield to be able to keep fighting. This is why Paul says in the beginning of this verse, in all circumstances, take up the shield. The shield of faith is relevant against any and every attack, and it was always the first line of defense when that mass of arrows is fired at us. See, the shield of faith is something that we've got to wield moment to moment because, I mean, how many of you, we know, we know when those arrows are shot at us, don't we? It's not like those arrows are silent and stealthy and unseen. They just, oh, the arrows are in the air. They've been shot. Here they come right? We, we know. It might, be, it might be a circumstance that we didn't expect, but all of a sudden here it is. It might be a flood of depression and panic or anxiety. It could be something that's insignificant that all of a sudden gets blown out of proportion. It could be something really overt, like I lose my job, or I get sick, or, or someone I love gets sick, or there's a relational breakdown with someone. It's, it's any situation, arrows are in the air, in any situation where the enemy is speaking those lies to us, he's seeking to deceive us in order to further one of those schemes, right, those five schemes, and we feel ourselves having our peace stolen, our joy killed, or our testimony destroyed. When we see, oh, that's what the enemy's driving at here, that is a moment when there are arrows in the air. And it's critical to see, and this is very, very important, the arrow hasn't hit yet when we find ourselves in those circumstances. And this is a critical lie that we need to learn to disregard in spiritual warfare. The enemy hasn't won just because we find ourselves under attack. When some trial or tribulation comes along, which, which, remember, Jesus said, you will go through tribulation, John 16, right? That's going to happen. When that happens, that doesn't mean that we've been hit by the arrow. It just means that the arrows are in the air. And this is a really important difference. Because as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that simply going through the trial doesn't mean that the enemy has hit us with an attack. Because sometimes we act like that, don't we? Sometimes we act like, ugh, I've been hit with the arrow. When all we're really doing is we're in warfare. I mean, Christian, remember, following Jesus is war. It is warfare. We are going to be attacked. The enemy is trying to kill you. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the walk of the Christian. But praise God, he's equipped us to withstand that. Amen? 
But just because we come under attack doesn't mean that the arrows have found their mark. It's precisely in those moments when we come under fire, that is when we need to take up the shield. See, the enemy is trying to lie to you so that you don't even take up the shield so that the arrows find their mark. Do we understand what's going on? we got to see that. It's critical. This is a critical, critical truth for perseverance through storms. When I'm in a storm, that just means the attack is happening. It has not yet found its mark. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, Above all else, as the most important, we are to see to it that our faith is right, that it be true faith, and that it covers all our virtues from attack. There is no respect in which faith is not useful to us. If you forget all besides, be careful above all that you take the shield of faith. Now, Spurgeon is using the King James Version, and in the King James Version it says, above all else. In the ESV that we're studying, it's in all circumstances, all right? Slight different translation. The point is, the shield of faith is a big deal. And it is, as we said, the first line of defense against those arrows. And because Satan, he knows, he knows the gaps in our armor, doesn't he? He, he knows where to come at us, but like we said, there are no gaps in the shield. There ain't nothing getting through that when it's in place. Now, we also need to notice that these arrows or darts aren't just shot at us to try to kill us with the arrows alone. Paul refers to them as what? As flaming darts, as fiery darts. In ancient warfare, the arrows were dipped in pitch or tar, and they were set on fire and then shot at the other side. And the hope was that the flaming arrow would set other things on fire. And the best thing to be set on fire was actually the shields that were being used. Because if the shields caught fire, then that means that they were exposed to the rest of the attacks. This is why the enemy tries to speak those lies of doubt to us all the time. Doubt and disbelief because that is specifically calculated to get you to drop the shield. We need to see what the enemy's targeting here. But here's the cool thing. The Roman shields, they didn't catch on fire. Didn't catch on fire. Why? This is because the leather and animal skins that they used were always dipped and soaked in water before they would go into the battle. And the material would soak up the water so that it made it heavier, it made it harder to lift, but when the arrow hit it, it would immediately extinguish it. The shields would never catch on fire. And this is exactly, praise God, what the shield of faith does with us. It not only protects us from the arrow, but it extinguishes the residual fiery effects of the arrow so that there can be no lingering damage. How many of you know that one of the ploys of the enemy is to cause that ongoing unrest within us, that ongoing instability, that ongoing feeling like something's not right here? Well, the shield of faith, though it might be a little heavier because it is watered, will extinguish those fiery flames as well. Amen? Now, by this point, I hope that you are thinking to yourself, all right, it's a lot of interesting information about shields and how they work and how it's important and kind of this, this spiritual truth of, okay, i got to wield the shield against the arrows. But what is faith? Okay, if this is such a big deal, what is it? What is faith? Well, in the Greek, faith is synonymous with trust, and it is confidence and conviction in the truth of something. Faith is confidence and conviction in the truth of something. It's, it's kind of like a gymnast having confidence that the springboard is going to propel her and the beam is going to hold her as she flips over it and the training of her coach has been adequate to get her to actually land on her feet. Right? We see how that works. Every single piece there is an exercise of faith. Biblically, 
In Scripture, faith is the confidence and conviction of the truth of who God is, what He has done, and what He says. That is the object of our faith. Who God is, what He has done, and what He says. And this is super critical here. Faith is always, always evidenced by action in conformity to the thing trusted in. This is why James writes in chapter 2 of his book that faith without works is dead. Faith is always evidenced by action. Always. You know the gymnast has faith in those things because she sprints towards it and goes through her routine. Her faith is put into action. I like how Tony Evans put it. You guys know who Tony Evans is? Great preacher, right? He says, faith is acting as if God is always telling the truth. It just He's got a great way of putting things so practically, right? Faith is acting like God is always telling the truth. It doesn't say faith is believing that God is always telling the truth. See that? It's acting like it. See, as we talked about last week, faith isn't just about knowing truth, it's about submitting to that truth, about letting that truth define you and guide you. Faith is always directly tied to an action. And here, right here, is where wielding the shield of faith speaks to our identity in Christ. Remember, like we said, every single one of these pieces of armor is a different aspect of walking in our identity as children of God. Because it's not just about knowing the identity, it's about walking in that identity, owning that identity. That is who I am. As I, as I walk in that, that is exercising my faith. Right? How many of y'all like to exercise? I'm putting my hand down on that one. You can say, hey, you know what? I want to be fit and be trim and do my thing. Yeah. It's good. Exercise is good. Good exercise. Like that, right? Right over there where it is. <laughs> right? There's no, there's no faith in the statement that exercise is good. There's only faith if I actually go and exercise. Get my rear end moving. Which I don't. But, (laughs) Scripture talks about this. Scripture says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the identity of the believer right there, that's what it is. It is in Christ. And I live that out in faith. Hebrews 12.2 says, the founder and perfecter of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's good news, is it not? It doesn't mean, that means that faith doesn't have to come from us. That should be an amen, because if faith had to come from us, we'd all be dead, right? Those arrows would be like, right, we're done, right? That's the way it would work. Praise God that we have Jesus Christ who is working that within us, who has given us his spirit, who is pouring out his grace to us so that we can withstand the attacks when they come. Because here's the reality, here's the reality. We can put our faith in many things, can't we? We can put our faith in all kinds of things. In fact, the enemy's lies are specifically designed to get us to put our faith in things in this world. To get us to put our faith in in the things that culture tells us. To get us to put our faith in ourselves. And when that happens, our shield will falter. Because because our faith is only as effective as the truth to which it's tied. 
If I were you, I'd write that down. Our faith is only as effective as the truth to which it's tied and how deeply I'm submitting to that truth. If my faith is tied to some other thing that's not the absolute truth of God, I will have my rope break. It will snap. It's not going to hold me. And we also need to see that Whatever we put our faith in, whatever I say that's what I'm trusting in, that will define who we are. So if I put my faith and my trust in anything other than God, then I am going to start to look like whatever I'm putting my faith and trust in. My heart is going to go after that. Right? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? He's basically saying, where you put your faith, there your heart will be. You will become like that thing. You will go after that thing. It's critical that we understand the object of our faith because our faith will be diminished and we won't take up the shield and we'll be vulnerable if it's in anything that is not true, settled, and sure. See, faith is obediently acting on the truth of God whether or not I feel it, I fully understand it, I agree with it, or like it. And that is completely counter to the message of this culture. Our culture says, hey, have it your way. But that's, that's not what real faith is. Faith disregards those external things and sees truth as truth. It is the absolute truth of God. And, and it's really important that we see that real faith, true faith, the shield of faith has to have an objective absolute truth. There has to be an objective, absolute standard or we'll not be able to submit to it. This is why faith, true faith, can only be rooted in the absolute truths that God has revealed to us. And it's why the enemy is constantly seeking to get people to turn away from the idea of an absolute truth. You hear it in our culture all the time. This, the, the postmodern, have you turned, heard, heard the term postmodernism? The postmodern way of thinking says, well, you know, we can't really be certain about anything. We always need to reimagine and reinterpret and deconstruct and kind of look at everything in light of, of what we now know, the truth we now know, so that we can have a better understanding of what truth actually is. The culture tries to relativize truth at every point. Because when I relativize truth, now I can make truth say whatever I want it to say. See how that works? Real faith is always rooted in an objective, absolute truth. It has to be. Otherwise, it is unsure. Otherwise, it is uncertain. Otherwise, it will fail you. Absolute truth is always true. That's the whole definition of it. It's absolute, regardless of what we think or feel. One of the greatest hindrances to wielding the shield of faith is that we actually know too much. Our minds get in the way oftentimes. At least we think we know too much, right? Or we allow our emotions to overcome us and we put more weight in what we feel than what the truth of God says. When this happens, we're not wielding the shield of faith. Instead, we've painted the target of self-reliance on us, and the enemy knows exactly where to hit that. The good news is that our faith in truth is solid regardless of what we think or know or feel. That is a comforting thing, amen? I'm putting you all to sleep. Sorry. Now, look at the passage again in verse 16. The phrase, 
I want you to see is you can, with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. And this means that you have, you have the power by virtue of an inherent ability. It's, it's in you. But we need to see that this is in the passive voice, which means that this inherent ability, this power that's in you, is actually coming from an outside source. So it's in you, it's there, it's inherent, but it's put there by something from the outside. Basically, if we put this into people talk, and all these fancy English people, majors who focus on grammar and stuff, the power to wield the shield of faith is within us because it's given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. All right? And this is, hear this now. We don't need more faith. No one needs more faith. What we need is more submission to the Spirit of God who has already poured His measure of faith within us. This is what Romans 12 says, right? God has poured out a measure of faith into all of us. It is already there. We have all the faith we need to do everything the Lord will ever call us to do. To overcome every arrow that has ever shot at us. The thing that hinders us from accessing the power that we have is that we try to control our own lives and do our own thing. Instead of relying on the Spirit of God to guide us and lead us and help us to lift up that shield when the attack comes. 1 John 5.4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Being born of God means that we aren't defined by this world. We are defined by who God says and we walk as his children as we rely on him for our identity, as we rely on him for our strength, as we rely on him to give us guidance. And when we do that, we overcome and extinguish all the fiery darts. Now, just dumped a whole lot of info on you guys. I trust that the Spirit of God will help you to sift that. Great, we know the shield. How do we actually wield it? What does it look like practically, all right? So I'm gonna give you five things in our closing minutes here Five things that we can do practically to actually wield the shield. Number one, we've already talked about this, but we've got to actively pick it up. We have to be intentional about knowing this is a moment where the arrows are in the air and by the power of God, it's time to take up that shield. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith. This is an active exercise. And the more that we learn to give over control to our God, the more we'll be able to do this. Let me, let me give you what faith is, practically speaking. So here's not like theological, fancy theological definitions. Here's faith in one word, practically. You ready? Obedience. That's what it is. In practical terms, faith is obedience to what our God says to who he is, to what he has done, and to who and to what he says to us. Faith is just obedience. Now, I'm not saying that it's simple to perfectly obey God. <laughs> the Lord knows I mess up all the time. I mean, you guys might be perfect, but I certainly need to hear this, right? Because I'm not I'm not obedient. And I seek to be more and more obedient by the grace of our God, by the power of the Spirit. But it's when I'm disobedient, and this doesn't mean that I'm, I'm necessarily going around flagrantly sinning. Disobedience is any time I am not setting my mind on the truth of God. And when those lies start to come in, and I start to respond to those lies instead of truth, therein lies disobedience. Taking up the shield of faith requires to us to obediently trust and submit to our God. Number two, 
We take up the shield of faith when we place our faith in God alone. In God alone. No substitutes, no distractions from the world, certainly not ourselves. Genesis 15.1 says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. See, people, they'll let you down. Your boss is definitely going to let you down. Your coworkers, yeah, they're going to leave you hanging. Your kids are going to let you down. Parents, get ready for it. It's going to happen. You disobedient kids. (laughs) Hey, kids, guess what? Your parents, they're going to let you down. It's just what happens in life. Oh, by the way, you are going to let yourself down. Anything else that we are putting our faith in will fail us but our God. This is why Scripture repeats over and over again that our Lord will never leave us or forsake us. He is our shield. He is the firm foundation upon which we stand, always at all times. And when we are under attack, that doesn't mean he's left. When we're under attack, that doesn't mean he's punishing us. When we're under attack, that doesn't mean that he has somehow forgotten about us. He is right there with us, and he will meet us in those places as we depend on him. Amen? We trust in our God alone. Number three, we must seek to grow in the truth of our God. Hebrews 11.1, which John Carlos read at the beginning of the service, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The more conviction and assurance we have in the truth of God, the more we'll be able to exercise faith in it. Men and women, study Scripture. Study the names of God. Study the promises of God. Study doctrine and theology Not that you got to read deep theological books, but be in community where you can ask your questions and grow. It's okay if you don't know. That's fine. We all start there. Ask questions. Explore truth. And mature brother and sister, don't ever think that you've arrived. Keep studying. Keep growing. Because when you start to get comfortable where you are, guess what? Arrows. That's when they're coming. Continue to seek to grow in truth. The doubts of the enemy enter where there is a lack of assurance and conviction. When there's room for questioning who God is, that is when the doubts of the enemy can begin to take root. Study, grow, ask questions that are meant to help us to explore who God is what he has done, and what he says. Number four, we must walk in the grace of our God. And I could spend the whole sermon just on this, guys, but this is so huge. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast Faith is fueled by God's grace. And like we said before, we don't need more faith. We need to walk in the control of our God, which really is trusting in his grace in our lives. The faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Instead of seeking more faith, we need to seek to understand and walk more fully in the grace of God. And the more that we know the word of God and let the spirit of God guide us, the more we'll understand and experience God's grace, that he meets us in those places, that he loves us, that he has forgiven us, that he sets us free, that he gives us new mercies every single morning. All of these things are God's grace, and the more that we walk in that, the more we can confidently depend on his grace to fuel our faith. Remember how we talked about how the Romans would dip their shields in water to extinguish the darts? Well, in Scripture, water is almost always a symbol of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 
And the more that our faith is watered by those things, the more that we will understand and know and walk and experience God's grace, which will extinguish those fiery darts. Walk in God's grace, number four. Finally, number five, we've got to fight together. We have got to fight together. One more historical note here. The Roman legionnaires, they never, ever, ever fought by themselves. Never did it. Because they knew if they tried, they would be killed. They always fought together as a team, as a family, as a unit. And when those arrows were shot at them, they didn't have their their shield alone to hide behind. Their entire unit would come together. And you can see the formation it would presented a pretty much impenetrable front to those arrows that would come down. The arrows could not get through. And even if they did have an injured companion, they could go around them and use their shields to protect the one who was down for the count. Because how many of you know there are times when I'm, at, I'm, I'm just at my end? Can't do it, Right? That shield is just not going up, not able to take it up. In that moment, the enemy wants to speak defeat to you. He wants to discourage you. There's the scheme. Or even more, get you to despairing hopelessness where it's just all over. There's just nothing left. In those moments, Christian, here's what you've got to do. You've got to do this. You have to call out to us and say, help. I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. I need you to help me. Most of the time, we're not mind readers here. I know I'm not. Sometimes the Spirit of God will prompt you to be like, hey, make sure you call him. Hey, make sure you call her. Send them a text. Hey, check in and see how they're doing. Sometimes the Spirit of God does that. If the Spirit of God does that, please listen to the Spirit of God even if you feel like it's weird and random and out of place, especially in those moments, listen to the Spirit of God. But it's a two-way street, hurting brother and sister. Please say, I need help. I need your help so that we can come around each other and raise that shield. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those are the five things. We do those five things by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We will be able to take up the shield of faith. And this brings us back to our vaulting gymnasts. Probably the most famous account of vaulting, and I'm sure many of you know it and remember it, was at the 1996 Olympics. Right? We were on home turf in Atlanta, yay! And the ladies, for the first time in Olympic history, had the chance to win the all-around gold medal. We had our magnificent seven. And we came down to the last event in second place behind the Russians. Why are the Russians always the bad guys? I don't, like, it's just a thing. And what was the last event? There was the vault, which was not our strongest event. And our ladies, as they went one after another, each one of them slightly faltered. They did not score as well as they could. In fact, the second to last lady who went, she fell on both of her vaults. And so the Americans needed to come up big on their last vault. And they had their best vaulter going last, but they knew that Carrie Strug also had a history of wilting under pressure. She just, she just, oh no, there's arrows in the air. Oh. Right? That's what she did. And so Carrie gets up and she starts sprinting towards the vault. She hits the springboard, flings herself over the vault and under rotates in her spin, hits the ground awkwardly, falls to the ground, sprains her ankle. The crowd goes silent because they know we just lost the gold medal. Her teammates 
stop cheering. They were so deflated. And Carrie later said in an interview, it was over. I knew I couldn't make the last vault. I felt like giving up right then and there. I had failed my team, and the Russians had won again. Those Russians. But then, she said in that same interview, then I heard a voice calling out to me. It was the voice of my coach. Carrie, you can do this. You are strong. You have been trained. Push through the pain. Make the vault. You will win us the gold medal. And she said, I had no confidence in myself, but because I trusted my coach, I was willing to make one last attempt. And of course, you know how the story goes. Carrie hobbles down the lane and nails the landing. The Americans win the gold. Yay, America! Down go the Russians. Ha <laughs> ha. See, Carrie placed her trust in the truth of her coach. She didn't listen to the lies and doubts going through her mind when the arrows were in the air. She didn't succumb to the pressure of the situation. She listened to the truth and she obediently responded to that truth by doing exactly what she was taught to do. And that is how faith works with us by the grace of God. Our Heavenly Father is constantly reminding us of the truth of our identity as His children. The key is that we receive that truth, submit to its power in our lives, and actively follow what He's saying. Obediently, following the training of our God, placing our faith and trust in Jesus alone, constantly seeking after the truth, growing in God's grace by the power of the Spirit, and fighting together as one body. As we do this, we will be able to take up the shield of faith and extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.